Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. This is Alex Schiff from the Kansas City Star. I am joined by Blair Kirkhoff, recent FWAA award winner. Blair, I, uh, I'm not a South guy, but I was very happy when I saw the news on Sunday. I, I got to talk by Vahe, and I saw the whole thing on Monday on Twitter. Uh, a very big congratulations to you, and uh, how you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. It was uh, it was it was fun to fun to pick up an award and watch an interesting college football game that night. Uh, it was. Um, I, I thought maybe one team would pull away from the other. I didn't expect it to be Clemson pulling away from Alabama. That was um, that was kind of an eye opener. Yeah, I think. Obviously, I'm younger than you by a little bit, but uh, I, I think out of all the title games and and. High stakes games I've watched. That's got to be up there for. I did not see that coming, at all, in uh, for a result like that. You know, it was, and it wasn't just that Clemson won big. It was that Alabama lost big, and Alabama looked to you know lose a little bit of its discipline in in, in the second half as the game was getting away. You don't see that often from Nick Saban teams. I think it, you know, it takes a little bit of the. You know, uh, not shine, but just seems it makes Alabama maybe a, certainly hungry after a loss like that, but maybe a little vulnerable. If they're not invincible, and uh, and I just thought if they had won that game, we'd have been talking about Alabama as one of the great teams in the history of college football, 15 and 0, and just dominated everybody and survived the only scare that it had, which was the Georgia game in the SEC championship, and um, but not to be. Um, it, you know, it does. It, it does go to show as great as Alabama has been, and Missouri got a firsthand uh, look at that this year. As great as Alabama has been, college football still, you know, it, it's still tough to to be great all the time. You know, there's just so many variables, and Clemson was just outstanding. And that quarterback Trevor Lawrence, I was telling somebody after the game that NFL teams should start tanking now for him. You know, he didn't come out for two years, but uh, he was he was that good, and I think he's going to be that good of an NFL quarterback. He was spectacular against against Alabama. I agree. I was thinking during the game how after this year, there's a little bit of a toss up as to who goes number one right now for this April's draft. I mean, it could be Nick Bosa, it could be Ed Oliver, maybe uh, maybe Dwayne Haskins is playing on the team. But uh, but the next two drafts were kind of set for who goes number one. It should be Tua next yep. year, and then then Trevor Lawrence the following year. So yep. the yep. the the mock draft people kind of have an early start on how to start filling that all out. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. You know, I'm still I'm starting to see Drew Locke uh, back in the you know in the first round and middle first round with some of the mock drafts that are you know that'll now that the college football season's over and you just get a little bit more of a sense of, of, uh, of this. And, 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 and you see more mock drafts, you know, I, I see, I think the latest one I saw, and I can't, I can't quote the source. So I, I don't know where it was, but I, Tuesday on my way back from, from California, I, I saw a lock as a number 10. I can't, can't remember the team who was picking, but the lock is not as high as number 10. So, um, you know, I, I've been here in Kuiper and McShay and, those guys talk about uh, second day for Drew Locke, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, the playoffs, the NFL playoffs have kind of showed me with, uh, you know, with Deshaun Watson leading his team in, and, and we know about Patrick Mahomes here, and 
Lamar Jackson in Baltimore having the good season that he had when he took over from Flacco that, you know what, it's, if, if you if you find somebody you like and somebody who you think can get you there, you go ahead and take them. And, um, and, and you, you can't draft a quarterback high enough for as far as I'm concerned. So maybe Drew Locke will, will be able to benefit from the this kind of prevailing attitude now with NFL teams. Yeah, and, and he's out in California right now. Uh, he signed with Tom Condon, the CAA, not a bad agent to have if you're trying to get into the upper first round. I Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State declared, I forget if it was over the weekend or earlier this week, for the NFL draft. I think a lot of people had him as the first quarterback that could go off the board ahead of Drew, and I think that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow is that can uh, – can Drew surpass Haskins as the top guy through the workouts and the combine and all that stuff? Or is Haskins just that good? I also kind of think, getting a little off track here, but, you know, Haskins only had, you know, 15 career college starts or whatever. It just kind of shows the way the dynamic continues to change about college quarterbacks and how they're evaluated. I mean, Pat Mahomes and Jared Goff didn't win that much in college. I think both of them only went to one bowl game. Drew Locke did a little bit better than them in that category. And now Dwayne Haskins barely started more, you know, he was started for a year essentially. And now he could be a really high pick. So it just kind of shows how the the script continues to get redone on what to look for for college guys and, and how little some of that stuff matters. Well, and, and just to continue the thought, then we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the Tigers directly, but, Kyler Murray's announced, you know, the, the speculation about Kyler Murray now uh, entering the draft is, is fascinating. Uh, you know, could he be, a, you know, the, the first person to be drafted in the in the first round of the Major League Baseball and NFL drafts? And, you know, Kyler Murray's like five foot nine. You talk about a Baker Mayfield effect, uh, five foot nine, and, but, but, a, you know, but a dynamic player for sure. I, I'll be interested to know what uh, what scouts think of him, and if they think the guy his size has a has a chance. There, I, I don't remember a quarterback prospect this you know with this size uh, since since uh, Doug Flutie. And I know it's way before your time, but uh, Doug Flutie was about five eight, five nine, and and was was effective first in Canada, and then in uh, you know had some nice seasons in the NFL. But there's a reason why teams went away from drafting that size quarterback. That's some Drew Locke, Trevor Lawrence, those guys uh, won't have and in the future won't have to deal with. They're more like the, the size that NFL teams are looking for. But, I, you know, when I heard about Kyler Murray, the, that speculation started to seep out yesterday. That, I was fascinated by that. I, I would love to see him try and do both. Obviously, it would be very hard for a, uh, a the quarterback position to also play baseball, given how much you have to know of a playbook. But – you know, I always want to uh, – everyone that got to see Deion Sanders do that always talked about how amazing it was. And, uh, obviously, he, was, he wasn't in a position like quarterback. He was more of a skill position. But I'd love to say in my lifetime I saw that happen in some capacity. Yep. Yeah, Bo, Bo Jackson, another one. And, yeah, there have been, been a few. Double dip, but, but not a quarterback. You know, it's, it's different with a quarterback. He's got to devote a lot of – you know, all of his time, really, to his position. There's a reason why – you know, the quarterback is the most important position, I think, in all of professional sports. And one of the responsibilities is you need to devote your life to it. And uh, I don't know, there's once, once you pick that route, I don't think there's any turning back. So, um, again, it's, that's, that's a really interesting storyline to follow. Yeah. So we killed about 10 minutes 
making small talk on all that front. But the re- you were at the title game, which is why you were unable to get to Missouri against number three Tennessee on Tuesday, which looked like it was going to be a really good game from the start and then turned into a 24-point loss, the largest loss Missouri was had since Tonto Martin was hired. And I, I thought, for the most part, it was a typical Missouri game this year where they have a great first 10 minutes, then the offense kind of gets lackluster, and they go in a halftime either down because of a scoring drought or a turnover-filled stretch. Um, I, I think it was more of the first one than the second one on Tuesday. And then they maybe got it to 10 in the second half, and then they never really were some striking distance. And, you know, I, I think it's worth knowing how good Tennessee is. I mean, Grant Williams, who I, I think is an All-American right now if the season ended today, had four points, didn't really do anything in the first half. Not Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams combined for three points in the first half or two points. I think Schofield had a, I forget if he had a three or a basket, just a layup. But, uh, but Missouri still goes in halftime down over 10 despite those guys struggling. I, I think Tennessee is a very deep team, and I think they're a legitimate Final Four contender and can win the whole thing between the depth they have and the veterans they have. But definitely not a great start to open conference play if, if you're Missouri. No. I, you know, let's – I'm not – I wasn't surprised by the out. Obviously, you couldn't be surprised by the outcome. Maybe a little bit by the margin, but but here's the thing. You know, if you've been following college basketball, which is not easy to do in in December with everything that else is go, everything else in the sports world that's going on, you saw that Tennessee played really good non-conference schedule. You know, beating Gonzaga, taking Kansas to overtime, uh, beating Louisville. They they played. Uh, you know. A, a, the type of non-conference schedule that teams that are, you know, that they're in the top 10 tend to play. I, I think that's one of the neat things about college basketball is, you know, uh, you know, the Kansases and the Kentuckys and the Dukes, the Carolinas, Michigan States, they all, you know, and maybe they have to do this just to keep interest in the sport, but they all play each other. And, and you get some great games and usually on neutral sites and you get battle hard. And I guess is what I'm trying to say. You get tough. Missouri didn't play that schedule, and, and most college basketball teams don't play that schedule. And so when you open your conference play with somebody that's as talented as, as Tennessee and uh, with, with the talent that uh, – with the individual talent that they have, with the – you know, it just it seems to all, all be coming together this season for, for the Vols. You're, you're, there's a little bit of a shell shock, I, I think. You know, wow, you know, this, they, this game is – the game we're playing, the opponent we're playing is a lot tougher than, than what we've seen. And I didn't think it helped Missouri to be off for eight days before that, to not have a game over the weekend, and um, just just a lot of things that, that that piled up. But now, having said all that, it was a great start for the Tigers, right? You you said it; it was terrific to see them get out. To, I think twenty seven eighteen was the was the peak, or at least the last peak yeah. of, of the league. And then and which followed twenty four four, yeah, twenty four four Tennessee won after that. So well, you tell me, you were there. I was just listening to it. What what happened at twenty seven eighteen? I uh, I think, for starters, you know, they lost Jeremiah Tillman two minutes in from a foul, a Stoops, tic-tac foul. In a, and then, stupid, in a stupid technical. Yes. He, you know, people were blaming the officials. No, Tillman completely asked for that. He did that right after uh, the officials pulled him and Kyle Alexander over and 
kind of tries to break some things up. So he completely asked for that. And, you know, Kyle Alexander had 14.17 rebounds. I think Missouri was able to survive by some jump shots and threes without Tillman early in the game. But, you know, they didn't really have anybody that could properly guard Alexander. And he had a couple of dunks and layups that were just completely uncontested. And some came off with defensive breakdown. Others were just mismatches. Uh, mismatches. Whoever they had guarding him in place of Tillman, that just that was not going to cut it. So I think that played a role. Um, Conzo called it on Monday at media day. Jordan Bone is just uh, a very underrated player on this Tennessee team. With Schofield and Grant Williams on the bench in foul trouble, he's the one that kind of dug them out of that hole, and he had a couple of threes. And uh, I asked Kevin Perry after the game, I said, you know, when they had all three of them on the court, Bone, Williams, Schofield, I said, do you think you guys were focused so much on Schofield and Williams that you guys forgot about the Jordan Bones and, and – Kyle Alexander's the world, and he said, yeah, I think, I think so. You know, there's, there's just so many guys they have. If you take a nap on one of them, they're going to gonna make you pay for it. So I, I just think that Missouri was probably not beating Tennessee with Tillman. They definitely weren't beating him, them without him. And I, I just think that his absence on the court kind of gave Tennessee enough holes to poke through to climb back into the game. I thought Missouri had some stupid turnovers and fouls, you know. Um, the, the thing that I kind of tweeted was I thought Missouri was trying to get way too fancy on some of these plays. You know, uh, Javon Pickett had a drive during that run. He had a complete hole to the rim, and he could have gone just right up with it, and he went under and up with it, and that rolled out. Um, kind of went for the fancier play when he didn't have to. That cost him two points. Uh, Jordan Geis and Perrier on a fast break. Perrier had no clue the ball was coming his way because Geis was already looking like he was going up for uh, a layup. Ball goes off of Perrier's hands. That's a turnover. They they just they had all these chances to kind of prevent the run from getting the 24-4, and they just again they just couldn't stay out of their own way. It seems like with uh, with. All that. So I, I well, think it was a tough. Go ahead. I was just saying they didn't have a field goal. I think in that last seven minutes or whatever it was, it was yeah. those four points were all on free throws. So that's well. That's to me. And I want to hear your thoughts. That speaks to this team's offensive ability. I I, I didn't realize until I read in your game story that this is a, that Missouri's the lowest scoring team in the in the SEC, which is okay. I mean they they were. That's how they choose to play, and maybe how they have to play. You know, and until and they didn't shoot the three terribly. I think they were eight for twenty-two, which is like thirty-six percent. And you'll take that most nights. But this is a team that's still gonna, you know, that's still gonna have to win defensively because offense is not going to come easily all the time for for this team against good opponents and, and on the road. So you tell me, is this, you know, what does Missouri have to be? to win games, you know, against maybe not the Tennessee's of the world, but South Carolina coming up this weekend and other, you know, other teams that are below that highest level in the conference. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff. And if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU or K-State. And no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass. 
unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or $2.50 a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash sportspass. Well, we, we were talking about this on Monday with Conzo, that Missouri's the lowest uh, scoring team in the SEC, but they're second in the 33rd in the country, second in the conference behind Florida in scoring defense. And the, the question was to Conzo, you know, do you think that's the recipe that you guys are going to have to lean on is you score as much as you can and you kind of hope the defense can, can keep the other team at bay enough for you guys to get out of there with a win and I mean, first off, I think we all agreed when Jonte Porter went out that this team was going to have to have some ugly wins, that it wasn't going to be all uh, peaches and cream with some of these games, that they were going to be a 62-57 game that is just ridiculous down to the end. But uh, Conzo had an interesting point where he said, you know, he doesn't really – he takes a look at the stats right now and all, but – he thinks that, you know, with the way some teams' non-conference schedules are, too, with, you know, the, uh, you know, like I'm thinking of like a satellite campus name, like the uh, Illinois Chicago's of the world or these, these schools that you kind of pay to blow out. Um, he thinks that, you know, uh, all team scoring numbers are going to change in some capacity between five to ten points over the course of conference play. So he's like, yeah, you can say that's the rest of it right now, but, but – as the season goes on, uh, I think we'll get a bit a better picture for how much these teams are actually capable of scoring, and and where we are in terms of stopping them. And I, I don't disagree, just because you know the SEC. We we said earlier on a few podcasts ago that they were a little disappointing in the non-conference schedule. But you look at the way conference play started off with South Carolina's two and zero. Ole Miss looks amazing after knocking off Auburn last night. Kermit Davis is doing an unbelievable job there. And I think it's going to be a lot of the same that it was last year. Kind of everybody beats up on one another. And, you know, I think the definition of what we think a good conference win right now is and what one will be at the end of the season is, is a lot different. I didn't think at Ole Miss would be a very big win for Missouri going into the season, but I think now that would be an impressive win given the way the Rebels are playing. So I, I think uh, this has been a long-winded answer, but, you know, I think the biggest thing Missouri needs right now is more out of Kevin Perrier and Torrance Watson. Personally, I think it's put up or shut up time for Jeremiah Tillman. You know, we've talked about the foul trouble with him since he stepped on campus. You know, some, we talk, you know, his fouls the other day were just stupid. He had one kind of colliding with a guy diving into a loose ball. They're just mental errors. It's not like he doesn't know how a game is called. I think he really needs to show improvement over conference play about being able to stay on the floor or else we'll never have a serious conversation about his pro prospects or anything like that. And I uh, I just think that this team needs to really be very balanced offensively, not rely on a Jordan Geist or a Kevin Perrier or a Jeremiah Tillman to get all their points because that's not the kind of team they are. They don't really have an alpha dog. They have guys that are kind of forced to be that with no Jonte Porter, but they're not guys that you can regularly expect 25 a night from. I think, I think they really need to share the love when it comes to scoring. You know, um, in the shame of the Tillman uh, effort, 
on Tuesday night was that that is a showcase type of game for him. That would have been. I mean, that you play at Tennessee, everybody's watching, everybody's paying attention to to that game, and, and and he he delivers that that sort of effort. And you were talking about the balance in the SEC, and you're absolutely right that you know it, it's too early to tell the, the you know who who's we we know we, we know a few things. We know Tennessee's terrific. I mean that's. We, we we just know that based on what we've seen through you know the first two 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 and a half months of the season, but uh, but we don't know a lot else, right? I mean, we thought Florida was pretty good. I didn't think South Carolina was going to go down there and win, and uh, and, and they go down there and get the W. So um, Missouri's got every they have every chance in the world to be one of those teams that uh, that can steal one somewhere and uh, and then have to you know fight like the devil at home to. You know, to protect its home court against a team you didn't think might, you know, that it wouldn't happen to. Um, there, there's too much, way too many unknowns in conference play throughout the country, and it's especially true in the SEC. I, I still think when it's all said and done, uh, the teams that we think have been good Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State will we'll be there at the Kentucky for sure. Kentucky uh, will be there at the end, but, uh, uh, but it's, but that's why. It, that's why I love conference basketball. It's just, you, you never know what you're going to get. And um, some of these are, you know, are, are, are just, you just throw your hands up and say, what, what's, what's, what's going to, what's going to happen tonight. I think Saturday's game is one of those games. Missouri at uh, uh, the, the battle of the Columbia's on Saturday. I agree. And, and I think, you know, speaking off of Tillman, Chris Silva was one of the best bigs in the conference. And I, I think he's a guy that, can easily get someone in foul trouble if he takes the bait. And I think it kind of comes down to a, you know, show us what you learned, Jeremiah Tillman, and prove that you have a short memory and you learned off of Tennessee and what all that went wrong for you there. So I I think that's a game that would be very encouraging for Missouri to win. I I agree with you. I don't really know what to expect as to when, uh, how they'll look with it and, and what to, what will happen in Columbia, South Carolina? I still don't know how I'm going to pick that game, but uh, I think it would be very big for Missouri if they can get out of there with a win. Hey, okay, well I want to switch gears because um, I got to get to the Chiefs here. But I I love your story about the uh, the, the follow up on the Missouri Tennessee women's game, and uh, you did some you did some good reporting, and I, I encourage anybody listening to this to go to uh, to KansasCity.com and read your story about this. What a what an interesting story. Uh, set it up, and and then let's talk about it. Yeah, no, I, I was hoping you would have been following that. Yeah, so Missouri women's basketball with a gigantic gigantic win uh, on Sunday at number ten Tennessee, sixty six sixty four. Uh, Tigers aren't ranked yet, but they've won five six in a row. They play Arkansas tonight. They're undefeated since Sierra Porter returned, and about. I forget if it was the second or third quarter of the game. You know, Sophie Cunningham drives to the basket. Uh, her elbow connects with a uh, Vols defender. Uh, gets called for an unsportsmanlike foul. And Missouri still gets out of there with a the win. And uh, a couple of other things that had ha- transpired during the game. Lauren Aldrich, who I think is one of the most impressive athletes in all Division One, playing basketball in addition to going to law school. Uh, there was an angle of her of what it looked like was clapping in Hall- Holly Warlick's face, the Tennessee coach. Uh, it was not your regular camera angle. And then in the post-game handshake line, the assistant, Jeanette McGee, Holly Warlick, assistant to the head coach, not even an assistant coach, the assistant to the head coach, refuses to shake Sophie Cunningham's hand. 
Sophie wasn't having it. Uh, she gets into it with a few Tennessee players. I think my favorite comment was uh, Tennessee players said something to Sophie. Sophie replies, you didn't even play, which uh, I, I love the trash talk <laughs> from her. And, wow. And then it was a firestorm on Twitter. You had former Tennessee players calling Robin Pinchon classless, Sophie a dirty player. And I, uh, the, the thing that kind of blew my mind about all this is that twice in the past two years, Missouri women's basketball has been in the news for this as like a dirty team. It led to a lawsuit last year, essentially, with Jim Sterk and Don Staley with this, what happened at the South Carolina game. And now this. And I, I don't know what to say about it other than that it just seems like Missouri has awful luck when it comes to this kind of stuff because I, I, I don't think Sophie's a dirty player. I think she's the kind of player you love to have on your team and hate if she's on the other one. And uh, it's, it's just amazing what transpired out of all this. You know, yesterday the players said that they never intended for it to go that way. You know, I, I was asking Robin Pinchon most of the questions. I said, are you surprised that it turned into this? And she says, yeah, I, you know, I, I can't believe the way this has all been taken out of context. The whole team gave up social media for the rest of the year because of some of the comments they got. And Robin Pinchon was asked, you know, do you tell your players to watch what they do on the court because of all the cameras out there and how it could be per- perceived? And she gave the classic, if we talk about distractions, it becomes a distraction issue. you got to let your team play the game. And it was a high-energy game, and this is what transpired from it. So just amazing as to how it got from A to A to C. And I don't really think anything wrong happened. You know, I, I only I, – I need to start by saying, you know, I, I don't watch enough of women's basketball, the sport of women's basketball, to know exactly what what's deemed acceptable and what's not acceptable in terms of, um, you know, sports uh, gestures, sportsmanlike gestures. I did see a replay of the Sophie Cunningham clap, um, and I would I would just say that sometimes you're, you're loath to compare the men's and the women's game, but that's that's nothing in the men's game. I mean, that, that's something like that is, you know, it's just you know players barking. You know, if that's what it was, um, you know, that's just uh, you know heat of the moment sort of thing. No no harm, no foul. I didn't see what was wrong with that. I, I think if you're if you're on the sort of the receiving end of a derisive gesture, which if if that's what it was, that should fire you up. You know, that should uh, okay. You know, you're going to do that way. I'm going to take the ball right to the hoop and maybe knock you down on uh, on the on the drive. Um, so it's too bad that that this is the topic that is uh, is the post game topic of what was a fantastic Missouri outcome. You know to the first time uh, to, to win in Knoxville and to, to be a story program, a respectable, you know, one of the, the one of the two, right? Uh, UConn and Tennessee are the two greatest women's basketball programs ever, and to get a win there is uh, what a, what a great moment for for Missouri, and for this to be the the follow is is too bad. Uh, it's a shame for the Tigers. Yeah, and they've uh, they're thirteen and three now. They've won five straight. They have Arkansas and Florida. I think they can extend that winning streak out a little bit. Um, I, uh, before we touch on one last thing, before we let you go, I, I think the interesting storyline for the women's team is going to be obviously if they can get to the second weekend of the tournament, but you know, the SEC is obviously a loaded conference and they have, even though it was a little bit of a disappointing non-conference slate, 
the path is still there for them to play their way in a hosting a first or second round game. And I think that's going to be the thing to follow with the way they're playing right now is can this kind of propel them into a situation where they're a top 16 national seed and get those first two games at Mizzou Arena and maybe get Sophie Cunningham to the Sweet 16. And I think that that's the big thing to follow now. You know, they have Arkansas, Florida with every bad team, home against Georgia, and then they have a really tough slate uh, at South Carolina, at Kentucky, and home against Auburn. But the path is there for them to to do it. And with the way they're playing on the road right now, too, I think you have to give them a shot at the other Columbia and uh, and at Kentucky. Well, if, if the um... – uh, if this incident or the or the fallout from what happened in Knoxville can create a us against the world mentality, take it, take it and use it and do whatever you got to do with it. And whatever emotional advantage uh, a coach can give a team, you, you got to do it. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that and and uh, uh, see if they. You said they were not ranked when they won. Has a poll been out since uh, since that triumph? Yeah, they were about 28th if you extended the rankings out. So I think if they go 2-0 and this week, they should be ranked on Monday. Okay, we'll be looking for that. Last thing before we get you out of here, we are on Albert O. Watch. Uh, I wish we had some music or whatever to play after that uh, that phrase. But uh, he's yet to declare for the draft. I'm so paranoid of him breaking it when I'm in the air to Columbia, South Carolina tomorrow that I'm going to write <laughs> – two versions of the same story today uh, and have them filed away just in case, but nothing on him yet. You know, I think, I think that the cards are in there for him to come back to school because it's a loaded tight end class for upperclassmen, especially with Texas A&M's Jay Sternberger, who I think is all American good. And a couple of other guys have already declared. I think that the idea for him is come back next year and then, really declare when it's a, a lighter class and it, it's not a knock on him. You know, I think he's got the measurables to maybe play himself into a higher grade, but he's got a lot of competition and I don't think one more year would, uh, would hurt him. I have, um, my, my feelings about these situations have evolved over the years. I was always a, uh, a proponent of if there's any doubt at all, come back. You, you, you uh, come back to school. You can, uh, you, you know, you'll, you'll, your body will grow a little bit more. Your, you know, your maturity will, will develop a little bit more. You'll, uh, it's nothing but beneficial to come back and be in a somewhat safe environment and uh, and, and, and and grow your game some more. And now, I don't know if it's uh, you know just just being old and and, um, uh, and, and, and gruff about these things. Man, if you've got a chance to go and, and get your money, go get your money, and uh, and then let the uh, you know let the NFL team that, that takes you develop you, and even if it means uh, you know you're, you're not playing, I mean that's the other that's the other advantage. You know, if he comes back, he's you know not only is he in line for all sorts of you know awards and and um, you know improve his draft stock, but you know he'll be playing all the time and. Uh, playing a position he wants to play. If he goes into the NFL, he, you know, he, he gets drafted and he, he sticks with the team. He's probably going to be on special teams for a while, and uh, you know, he'll start that life. Uh, but 
but I, I do think that it, it's, a, it's a cold, hard business, and you have to make a, a cold, hard business decision. And if the, if the, the position kind of lines up against him, you come back. And if it doesn't, if you think that, uh, you know, there's a chance, if there's been some communication with some teams about, you know, his draftability, his draft stock, take the chances and go get your money. Um, there could be an injury next year. You, you, you might, uh, you know, it, it might not work out. I've seen, I've seen guys you know, draft stock drop just based on coming back. The greatest example of all time of that is Matt Liner, who, you know, was going to be the, the, the one, one after his junior year at, at Southern Cal. He comes, he, he says, no, I love college coming back. And he, he drops to 10 and, and loses all kinds of money because he, he didn't have a good NFL career, and I, I don't think that was going to change whether he came out after his junior or senior year. But he lost first, uh, over, you know, one one money by not coming out. So uh, it's um, and call me jaded, but I'm I, I just think if, if there's a chance to, to make money, it's you take it. And uh, and again, you rely you got to rely on a lot of advice. Um, you know, you're, 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 um, and, and colleges allow you to get this advice in a way that they didn't. So I, I imagine that's what's going to happen. He'll, he'll just make a sound business decision here, you know. For our for our selfish, you know, sakes, I hope he comes back. I love watching him play. I think he's a he's a terrific college player. But he's got to do what's right for him and, and his family. Yeah, one surprising NFL declaration that I didn't expect to see coming was Demario Crockett with Mizzou. Yeah, um, I I think it's an interesting situation with him as. You know, he had a phenomenal true freshman season, 1,000-yard rusher, looked to be the future for the program, and then got hurt the last two years and missed some games. His injury at Georgia last year really brought out the emergence of Larry Roundtree, uh, who was a 1,000-yard rusher this past year. Tyler Beatty, Simba Bikari, they have bodies behind him. And I, I think that if you're Crockett, you know, you don't really hear about graduate transfer running backs that much. Uh, I understand the shelf life of running back is short in the NFL. You know, he's already had some injuries maybe go now. But uh, but Missouri's run game, especially with the addition of Kelly Bryant, was going to be maybe first in the SEC next year. I don't think it's a gigantic loss because of what they have behind him. But it, it was definitely a surprise. You know, I uh, I think it reminds me the most of when Henry Josie declared after that 2013 season. I don't, I don't think you blame him given the horrific knee injury he had. He left at a time where they had a ton of running backs behind him, and Marcus Murphy, uh, Russell Hansbrough, Ish Witter was coming in, Morgan Stewart was still healthy, et cetera. But, um, but both surprises to the Missouri staff when they happened. And, and the one argument I got against this from a player was that Missouri's pro day wasn't that well attended last year, especially if Albert O comes out. It's going to be a circus this year. And he'll have all the eyes on him to do what he needs to do to maybe be a late pick or be an undrafted guy or whatever. So I, uh, I'm never curious. To, you know, I love the dealing with Demario as a reporter. He had a great sense of humor and was always willing to talk to us even when he was hurt. Um, I am very curious to see how this pans out for him. Well, we'll save this for another podcast, but there, there's a, a, a interesting discussion to be had on how running backs are the unique position when it comes to uh, the NFL draft and, and, and what should and shouldn't be uh, changed about uh, uh, about underclassmen being able to, to declare uh, or even earlier than when they when they get to do for the NFL draft. So let's, let's save that for another time. 
Sounds good. I uh, I will let you go. Give me a Chiefs prediction before we get out of here for this weekend. Well, I, you know, I picked the Colts earlier in the week uh, by somebody, and I think I did that because I was on a panel with, like, four other people, and, and everybody picked the Chiefs, and I just thought, you know what, I, I think to represent the, the kind of true feeling of, uh, of, of what this game is, someone needs to pick the Colts, so I picked the Colts. If I were picking first in that panel, I, I would have taken the Chiefs. I, I, I think the Chiefs are the better team. They played the better schedule. We talked about that earlier when it came to non-conference basketball scheduling. I think it matters that the Chiefs have played a more difficult schedule than, than, than the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, it's going to snow. It, it's going to be a, maybe a damp track on, on, on Saturday at Arrowhead. I, I just It's just the feeling I get that this is you – know, Patrick Mahomes makes that much difference to this Chiefs team. He has all season, all season, and he will on Saturday, I do believe. Uh, 38-34 Chiefs. And on that note, we'll let you get out of here. Uh, who knows the next time I'll see you, Blair. It could be in Atlanta. It could be before then. Uh, we'll see you talk about next week regardless. So take care. All right, Alex, you too.